Welcome to the UK Virtual School Podcast, a podcast for parents, home educating families, and those looking for an alternative to the current education system. I'm Sid, the founder of UK's first online school that does things differently. We dare to be different. We dare to question the notion of our current education system. Join us as we create a movement to disrupt education and seek to create one which is innovative, inclusive and fulfilling for the children who will become the leaders and change makers of tomorrow. Join us and become part of the conversation. Welcome to another episode of the UK Virtual School podcast. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about the teacher who lives in a van, the flexibility of an online school. So Hannah is our science teacher and she's been with us for the last year and she lives in a van, literally lives in a van. So Hannah travels around Europe and the world and she's currently in the UK um, near, near the Scottish border, I believe, and her life is built around her ability to travel and to do the things that she loves doing. And today we're going to be hearing about some of the stuff that she gets up to in between her lessons that she delivers at UK Virtual School. And this just shows the fascinating lives that people have when they are able to shift things to an online world because it allows them the flexibility to travel around the world, to do things that they might not be able to do if they were restricted to a particular location. So Hannah, welcome. Tell us a little bit about you because this is such an exciting way to live where 20 years ago this would not have been an option because the internet didn't exist the way it does. So tell us a little bit about you and why you decided to live in a van. Uh, So I am originally from New Zealand and New Zealanders in general we have a, a bit of a travel bug. We like to Um, move around as much as possible pretty much any country in the world you go to there'll be at least one New Zealander represented there and so I was originally a marine biologist and then I switched to teaching when I decided I wanted to move more into environmental education when I was doing environmental education I was living in all over the world I lived in Madagascar and I worked in Scotland and New Zealand and other parts of Europe and then I retrained as a teacher and I lived in London and worked in Slough for a couple of years and um, Slough has its charms but it's not quite the same as being able to travel so I moved to Europe to travel so my partner and I we moved into our van and I really love being able to do the thing all the things that I really enjoy I love teaching I think it's a great profession I love being able to work with kids but I also really like being able to go and do all of my outdoorsy stuff so I like scuba diving and skiing and I've just taken up paragliding so UKVS allows me to do all of those things I love and bring those things into the classroom as well which is really fun. (laughs) So how long has it been since you made that decision to move into a van and that's going to be your life going forward what was that turning point what where was it where you went this is what I want now? (laughs) Um, We bought this van two years ago last week she had a second birthday oh, wow. the other day. It was very exciting. We had cake. Um, and But we'd been thinking about living in a van for quite a while. So in New Zealand, it's quite common to have tra- uh, people traveling around the country living in a van for a long period of time, you know, months at a time. 
we'd always sort of thought about it, but with work, it was never really an option, right? So my partner is a software engineer, so he was tied to an office. He needed a good internet connection. Um, I obviously was tied to a classroom. And then we decided that we were going to quit our jobs and go traveling for um, a, a, year or so, a year or two in a van around Europe and then move back to New Zealand. In the time after we decided to make that decision and sort of when we actually got around to buying the van over the space of about a year, um, my partner managed to get a remote job. So that was great. Um, and then the pandemic happened. And so uh, over the first lockdown, we were building out the van. It had always been the plan that we'd live in the van and that we'd travel and that maybe I wouldn't teach for a year or two. That would just be, you know, part of the things that we would do. That one of the sacrifices I would make in order to do the things that I love. Then the pandemic happened and the opportunities for remote teaching cropped up. And so after living in the van for a couple of months, I was starting to get a bit bored. <laughs> sort of my partner was working normal hours and I was sort of sitting there going, yep, there's only so much planning I can do about routes and where to buy the next great meal or whatever. So, um, yeah, I started looking into remote teaching jobs and there were I always assumed it was going to be um, English teaching as the only option if you wanted to do remote teaching or online teaching. Um, but I was absolutely stoked to find that I could teach science because try as I might, I am not an English teacher. <laughs> you you and me both, right? We have an issue with spelling and I, and I know yeah, you suffer definitely, from the same. Definitely, definitely. So we're not uh, the best teachers to be teaching English to foreign students if we can't even spell in our own language. <laughs> I would have been a mess. It would have been utter chaos. I just sort of probably lasted about a week and they'd be like, do you actually speak English as a first language? Because we're not sure. <laughs> so then you started to teach science at UK Virtual School and that brings its own challenges, right? Because there's experiments involved. Sometimes you are in locations where you want to be outside. And what about the internet issue? So I think this is a big one where teachers and, and families and students want to be able to travel and if they're in a remote place, how do you get a good internet connection? So how do you get around some of those challenges? Well, I mean, you can tell by like conversations that we've had, you know, in, in emergencies like, oh, no, my internet's dying um, or I've cut out of a lesson or something. That's really only happened for me when I'm in the UK. I was in the Alps <laughs> all right? of winter. I was in Switzerland and I was in France and I was at ski fields the whole of winter. I was learning to ski. And as well as teaching, obviously, that was my main priority, of course, was teaching, nothing to do with falling down mountains or anything. And yeah, I had very little issues with internet and my partner, the same, he relies on the internet as well. So we, we were fine because we were able to roam. Um, the issues have been in the UK a couple of times, like mainly in big cities. We've had more issues connecting when we've been in cities than I have being on a remote hilltop in Wales um, where I've had horses come and poke their heads in through the door. Like I haven't, I haven't had issues when I've been out, out and about doing the fun stuff. The issues I've had has been when I've been in the city. <laughs> and so we've got a big beefy router in the van that's got an antenna on the outside. We've got three different SIMs, all with unlimited data caps. So it's across three different networks and we try to make it work. And then we've both got our cell phones as well. So we can use those uh, to try and we sort of, we've got apps that will point us in the right direction of signal and stuff. But generally overseas, it's not so much of an issue as it has been in the UK, which I found baffling. <laughs> and yeah, mainly in the cities where it's the issue it is strange isn't it and I, and I think even the kids that have issues with internet and when when they have issues it is usually you'd expect the internet to be working and when it doesn't it's just a pain yeah. right you literally could have um, done nothing different 
logged on exactly the same, yes. antenna yes. pointing in the same direction, same breakfast, whatever it is that you do in your daily routine, and then the internet just dies. Uh, but I guess that's the same yeah. like in any situation, right? Like when I used to have to commute to Slough from London, sometimes things like that would happen as well. I'd just be like, I'm going to be late because a cow has been hit or there's leaves on the rail line or something. And so I think that's just, yeah. at least, at least that's you delayed. can do it with, from the comfort of your own home or van with a cup of tea in your hand. Without it's being the, stressed out in traffic, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although I have had one traffic-related problem whilst trying to teach. I had nearly, nearly missed a lesson because I was stuck in traffic, but I managed to find somewhere to pull in on the side of the road and just do the lesson there, which was good. <laughs> this is what's really fascinating because I've seen some of your lessons where you've got the backdrop of the Swiss Alps behind you, where you've kind of set up outside um, and you're, you're in this remote place where there's no humans about and sometimes you have like cows or goats or horses roaming around around you. How do you find that? Do you find that the kids are fascinated by the fact that you live this life and you're able to draw in different aspects? Kids are always going to be the most accepting of everything, right? They're, they're usually pretty open to new ideas and they find it really interesting or a bit strange. Teenagers are a bit more judgmental, but not UKVS kids, I've found. They, they're pretty open to the world and open to different ways of thinking. Um, I usually, if I know I'm going to be somewhere interesting, um, relating loosely to a topic I might be teaching. I try and integrate that in somehow. So uh, when I was teaching the year 10s about um, ecology and doing um, ecosystem assessments for their IGCSEs, um, I knew that I, that was that works far better if you're somewhere like in a woodland or whatever. So um, I deliberately uh, went and parked somewhere that was in a woodland and so then I walked around with my computer going hey guys this is a tree and then we looked at all of the interactions going on in that tree we looked at how to do um, the practical required practicals that obviously we can't do over the internet but they could at least get an idea of how we would do it and I talked them through like well I'm in this location this is how I would survey here or I'm looking if we looked at this environment how would we do that and so if I can tweak my lesson plans and my sort of scope of where I'm going that month if I can tweak it to where I am I try to and then sometimes we'll have a you know a stampede of wild horses we'll just interrupt a lesson on I don't know acids or something we'll be like quick study break horses and then we all stare at the horses for a bit and then we get on with life and carry on with the lesson so if there's something interesting going on I try and integrate it um, because it's always interesting to see the rest of the world <laughs> from wherever you are especially at the moment when everyone's kind of stuck in one place it's nice to be able to be like hey guys remember these other places exist what has been your experience of being back in a classroom but without walls now because you're not sat in a classroom like you were before yeah how does that feel because this was your first time teaching online yeah right? I didn't do any online teaching during the first first lockdown or during the first school closure mainly because the kids I was teaching didn't have access uh, so the school I was at most of the students didn't have their own devices so we couldn't really do online teaching the first first month or so was interesting it was interesting having gone from being very much back in in the adult sphere you know being surrounded by adults who not necessarily closed-minded but very you know very much fixed in their personalities and way of thinking going back to working with kids was a bit of a like oh 
yeah, I forgot how dynamic working with um, teenagers especially is and how how many interesting questions you can get from teenagers, especially when you present them with something out of the ordinary. Like, hi, I'm Hannah. I'm your chemistry teacher. Sorry, I'm covered in snow. I just went outside for a moment or whatever it is. I found that to be a really good reminder of why I really like teaching. I think obviously there's there's massive differences in that like I was teaching classes of 33, 35. Sometimes at one point I had a class that didn't have enough seats, so we had to seat them on tables. Um, It was only for a couple of days, but it was very much like, whoa. Um, And so, and then going to being in classes of no more than 10 is amazing. And sort of working out how to get interactions out of kids online is also a different way of doing things. Because normally, and if you're face to face, it's a lot easier to to gauge responses. Whereas with online teaching, there's a bit more of that. I have to actively engage with the kid, which makes it a lot easier when there's only 10 or less in the class, because at least I have time during each lesson to go through at least each child at least once will get asked a question. Whereas um, if there was, you know, that many kids, like so if I had, I don't know, 40 or 50 in a class, at once online there's no way I'd be able to do that one-to-one sort of contact with the kids which I really one thing I really like about UKVS is there's just the classes are so small it's great (laughs) and you've built some great relationships with the students as well and I know we've had multiple conversations about how you find them so adorable and how you find them so intriguing and interesting and they've all got their unique personalities to be fair I do remember my first lesson with the year nines when because they're all year nine and so they're awkward year nine is just an awkward age right no one was put together in year nine if we all look back to when we were 13 14 we all cringe um and I remember the first lesson I had with them, there were sort of five or six faces all staring at me in an incredibly awkward, slightly stiff manner, not quite sure what was going on. And by the end of the second lesson, they were all debating and chatting and like trying to not divert me, but, you know, asking engaging questions so we could follow a line of inquiry or whatever, um, which was just really interesting to see how very how quickly they adapted to that, how quickly they switched from being awkward year nine teenagers to being happy to express their ideas and being happy to ask questions really quickly and openly and interrupt me as well which is sometimes frustrating but they were very polite about it (laughs) it was always with good reason (laughs) and I think this is what's really um, exciting is that we can engage with the kids and we can have that level of interaction and we don't give kids enough um, credit that they are able to adapt really quickly just looking at how kids have adapted during the COVID experience, they've adapted so well to whatever we've kind of thrown in their direction. And if anyone's thinking of doing a year or maybe two years or three years of world traveling and, and, and thinking, how do I home educate and do this at the same time? Your kids will adapt. It's you that's going to be struggling as an adult because we've lived a life of being fixed behind walls and, and having a nine to five and all the rest of it. But kids will adapt so quickly. So was there a lot of work that you did on your own mindset in thinking outside the box a bit in in terms of being at a point where you feel comfortable to kind of leave things behind and travel? So when I was growing up, my dad um, was constantly traveling for work. He's a cameraman. And so at this point, he's been to 97 odd countries. Um, And so when I was little, we used to travel with him. We were part of the excess baggage. Um, And then sort of as I grew up more, I when I was 16, uh, my parents moved to the other end of the country and I sort of stayed where I was. So I was sort of already a bit on my own and having to sort of find my way. And I think I was 
And then with marine science, you have to travel for it. Like it, my partner, he got a job in Cambridge and Cambridge is not well known for being surrounded by the ocean. So I would go off and do things on my own. So I went and lived in Madagascar for a year and um, I did my master's in Fiji. And so I was already quite comfortable with being uncomfortable. But when I moved into the van, I didn't really think about sort of the negative sides of it. But having been in here for a while, um, sort of realized the importance of having a community, which I think UKVS really provides. So like as a team, there's always someone to share with what I'm doing, which is really nice because I felt quite self-conscious about, especially at the moment, saying to all my friends who are, also enjoy traveling and enjoy doing these outdoorsy sports and they've been stuck in houses over lockdown, sort of saying, hey guys, look, I'm in the Alps or hey guys, look, I've gone just gone diving in Corsica or something. I don't feel particularly comfortable sharing that with everyone, but with the UKVS family, everyone already knows that I live in a van and I do weird things. So it's nice to be able to, and, and then there's other teachers as well that are living in other places and sort of having that, that community within sort of a community that travels with me in my pocket or on my laptop is really nice. Mm. I think that that's really helps like ground you whilst traveling because it is really hard to maintain that level of someone to talk to when something's going wrong or just someone else who's not my significant other who, you know, lives within two meters of me at all times. You know, it's nice to be able to have just someone else. Just having other adults, right? Yeah, just having adults, well, actually, even adults just talking to, talk to the kids on a daily basis, sometimes I feel like I'm more enthused about seeing them than they are seeing me. I'm like, oh, hello. <laughs> people, not <laughs> animals people, for a change. <laughs> tell me about your lives, guys. I'm curious. What's going on? <laughs> but yeah, it's it's nice having that um, that sense of community, yeah, which is very specific as well, specific around around something that I'm really passionate about and that maybe some other people that I'd see whilst traveling in a van aren't that interested in. One of the things that we've done with the science is that we've got you to be teaching the primary science and I don't like the science curriculum so much because it's a bit boring and it's a bit bland. So I say to families, we loosely follow the curriculum because we still look at the same topics, but we push them a lot higher though, right? And I think it works really well. It works really well. So how have you found that experience working with primary age kids? Because you did previously work with mad science uh, workshops and stuff. Yeah, I used to do, before I became a teacher, when I was sort of, you know, testing the waters as to whether I liked this education thing, um, I worked for mad science doing after, uh, primary school science clubs. And that mad science is all like, let's make bad smells and big explosions and like crazy things happen um, and so I kind of already had an idea about sort of the levels that primary needed um, and sort of how I would teach it if I was face to face but sort of the how do I teach this now uh, online was a bit of a challenge so trying to add mm. that same level of wow science um, especially for the year threes and fours because it's much like the year threes and fours, I'll put some higher level stuff in, but it's much more about let's make this fun. Let's make this yeah. funny. Let's let's try and find crazy experiments that you guys can do at home. Whereas the year five and six is a little bit more academic, but still still with the awe factor. But we start putting more key stage three sort of um, year seven and eight content that they can definitely handle. Um, and it means then we don't have to go over it in year seven as well, because a lot of it, 
a lot of year seven is just a lot of recap from primary, which a lot of kids, when they start year seven, they just be like, oh, I've already done this. This is boring. But a lot of them <laughs> haven't, though. There yeah, are some primary so, schools yeah, that don't teach This is the struggle. If, if you've not got enthusiastic primary science teachers, you're going to have a kid come in to a year seven. Well, this is a problem in secondary as well. Like, uh, you have if you've got feeder primary schools that aren't very science literate, then you've got ones that are. You automatically end up um, having a streamed system because just purely by luck of some kids have are more science literate, and so you end up with kids who will be in a science class being pushed further, and kids who may be a bit further behind, and they're being streamed not based on their ability or enjoyment of science, just purely based on the fact that they didn't have a good primary school science education, which I always found. Mm-hmm really really depressing because science is one of those things you can go follow to the ends of the earth as far as how complicated you want to make something right if you're passionate about it or if you already know something you can go further and go further and go further and if you already have kids that are further ahead then everyone else behind has got this real disadvantage which I I really rail against so the cool thing about teaching the primary school in UKVS as well as the secondary bio and chem is that I can make sure that Um, kids who can be pushed and should be pushed well actually all kids should be pushed but pushed further and further into sort of key stage three and maybe even some key stage four stuff if if it's suitable that can happen early on so that we can continue to push them and push them if they stay with us up into secondary which is really satisfying so I've got this rather intense document that I work off that's got all of the topics um, sort of streamed out and figuring out where is this line of questioning going and so I can sort of plan that into my lessons and sort of figure out how far could I push those students in whatever class it is which is really nice. And I'm completely supportive of this kind of way of doing science because this is what I did with my previous uh, business where we did workshops we did a a lot of GCSE and key stage three content with kids as young as five six seven and they're they're very capable if you deliver in a way that is accessible to them. And all our science classes at UK Virtual School in primary are very popular. You've got kids, nine, ten kids in, in a class, um, and, and they really love them. They really enjoy the the level of curiosity and questioning and, and just the awe that you bring into the classes. And kids are natural scientists, we need to nurture that. Yeah, definitely. Well, they're always naturally asking, like, why is this happening? Why? Like, why is always the... They're, they're, there's some kids who ask it a bit too far and then they reach the end of my knowledge or ability to explain it to a six-year-old. But, um, you know, there's always the, but why this? But why? But why? But why? And it sort of seems to be uh, less and less as you become a teenager because it's uncool to ask why, um, which is always a bit disappointing when, t- when kids discover that they're cool or think they're cool, um, which is really fun about primary they don't think they're cool but I think this is what's really interesting about what we're trying to do at UK virtual school because we're trying to instill that growth mindset so they always continue to question and it's going to take some time because the secondary age kids have been in maybe a normal schooling system or they've been home educated in a certain way so to undo that it will take time but you start to see glimpses of it, right? When you they, when they when you see that their perspective changes. Yeah, definitely. And I think the kids who have come from a mainstream environment. When you're in a class of thirty odd kids, you don't get the time to ask the questions, right? Or if you do, you're going to have twenty nine other kids staring at you with death eyes because you're wasting time, or you, they all want to go do something or whatever. And with UKVS, it's really not, even in a class of ten. Every kid can, if they send me, like in the chat function, if they've got a question, 
they can just send it to me there and I will be able to see it and I will be able to address it. It's really nice being able to have that interactive uh, way of teaching and also being able to integrate that into our recorded sessions, right? So if a kid's asking a line of questioning that I hadn't really thought about during the break between the uh, the interactive session and the recorded session, I quickly oh, type up some ideas and find it like find a sort of diagram or something that will illustrate uh, the questioning that the line of questioning that we took. Um, I've spent many a, a ten minute break frantically trying to find like put something together to sort of encapsulate actually where the lesson went. Where because although I think I'm pretty good at my job, I can't predict. Sometimes I just can't predict where the lesson will go, which is really fun and makes it means that every lesson is just that little bit different rather than doing the same lesson every year in the same order, doing the same tasks, which I've always found boring when I was teaching in the classroom. This is one of the things that I try explaining to families that especially when they say is this going to be the right level for my kid and I'm like well we don't know what other kids we've got in the class and a lot of it is based on how how the kids interact with each other and how they what level they are collectively because we adapt to the kids rather than going you're all learning this that's it there's like no no scope for any change and like you've said there you make a, a, you adapt depending on the questions that they've asked so it's very difficult to know exactly the starting level level that we'll be starting at because we don't know who's going to be in the class yeah, until yeah. we've had that first class and also if you have an outlier if you have someone who's way far ahead or, or a little bit further behind it's very easy to move that whereas you know when you're in primary school you're in year five when you're in primary school, you're in year four or you're in year seven or whatever, you're in very much stuck within that structure. Whereas um, with UKVS, you can do a little bit more chopping and changing, which is really nice. You know, like if your English skills aren't quite as good as maybe your math skills, then you can be in a slightly higher level math class. And it's not streaming as such because you're not like you have only have a set amount of time to do stuff. You just take it at your pace. You take it at the kid's pace and you figure out what they need and cater to that which is also really great because we have such small classes we can actually do that um we can mm. very, i can very much be like so i in my primary school lessons i have a couple of key students that i know will be interested in something like there's one kid in year three and four science who loves spelling tests she loves them she's awesome at them so every lesson We'll do a spelling test because, as we established at the start, you and I may not be good spellers, but I will make sure that my students are. <laughs> so <laughs> do as I say, not as I do, kids. <laughs> and so and I know that she loves it and I know that it's really good for everyone else. So, you know, we start out with really easy questions and then we get into some real complicated spelling questions. And every kid is always a bit surprised at how far they get down that spelling test. And then there's other things like trying to put in like there's some kids who are just super wriggly. So, you know, we're going to do some dancing in this lesson. Like every lesson, mm. every primary school lesson, I will try and get up, like get them standing up and doing something at some point in the middle of the lesson, which is a challenge sometimes being in the van. Um, <laughs> some people in some car parks have seen me do some weird stuff. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> we need a little compilation video of all of the weird and wacky things that Hannah yeah. in the van does. <laughs> in terms of flexibility that this brings to you, Thinking back maybe like 20 years ago when this wouldn't have been possible, does it just blow your mind at how the internet has completely transformed the way we live and the way we function, the way we work and 
or the way we socialize, right? Yeah. So I, um, growing up in New Zealand, I knew a couple of kids who did um, what we call correspondence school. So there'd be farm kids and they'll be out in the sticks and they would do all their lessons via radio. So they'd have audio lessons oh, wow. and then they do, there's also like textbook aspects of it and stuff. But the idea of doing distance learning or remote learning to me is not foreign but how much it's evolved since when I was at school and you know if I wanted to do correspondence school I'd have to sit and listen to the radio at a set time or whatever has changed massively Uh, you know like I some of the people I know who work for correspondence school now they all have they go and visit their students or they have online conversations and they're able to actually interact with their students where it used to be sort of a, a verbal lecture even in um, the two, early 2000s when I was at school. So it's just, it's it's not a foreign concept to me, but it's great that it's so much more accessible now. I'm so excited to see where UK virtual school goes because I'm sure we'll adapt and it will evolve and we'll get new ideas as we go along. Um, and one of them being that we're introducing the worldview subject. I'm so excited. I talk about this in every podcast now. Um, but I guess that excites you as well from an ecology perspective yeah. and from a, from a kind of traveling perspective as well. Yeah, being able to sort of introduce different cultures in a non-Nat Geo kind of way, you know, sort of like sort of National Geographic has always sort of been like, and this is a wild tribe, which I always found really grates me the wrong way, having lived in a variety of places and a variety of cultures. People are people everywhere you go and different value sets within those communities dictate how they operate. And I always find that really, really interesting. Sort of how do you adapt what I would consider um, important values? How are those different or how are they slightly changed depending on where you are? Um, which, yeah, will be really cool with the worldviews, like especially if you can sort of if we can go to those countries later on. Eventually, yeah. Eventually is the plan. You're, you're going to be the first in line, right, Hannah, in your van? I will be there. I was looking at paragliding in Morocco last night. I was like, ah, oh, I could link all these things up. This could be great. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be so fascinating to be able to do those residential trips. And for listeners that haven't heard what our plans are, we're hoping Sorry, I'm to be... jumping the gun. <laughs> I think I've mentioned them at some point in in a previous podcast, but we're planning to eventually be in a position where we can do residential trips for families and for teachers and for kids. And we can go to different countries that we've studied and they, they will happen at the end of each month. Well, it'd be amazing if we could do it every month because we've got the potential, right? Madness. But eventually, maybe once or twice a year, um, because we run in a three-week structure. So we've got three weeks of lessons and we've got a week or two off. So potentially it could happen every single month, eventually at some point in the future. Definitely, it could. Um, and then having... <laughs> I may not be attending everyone. <laughs> well, you might be if you're traveling, right? You just need to like skip the border to the next country in your van and you're you're there. <laughs> The van, the van did hit 100,000 miles the other day. So, you know, that was exciting. <laughs> In two years, that's that's not bad. But yeah, the, the idea is going to be to be able to travel and take the families and then do educational activities when we're in that particular location. And because they would have done a really in-depth study of a particular country over an entire month at UK Virtual School, 
their perspective of that country will be different. It won't be, oh, we're a tourist, let's go to the tourist places. It'll be more like, let's go to the non-tourist places because that's where you see the real value of the country and and what it what it has to offer. So that's really exciting. And down the line, when we're back to a bit more normality, which we don't know when's going to happen, but hopefully sooner than later, it's things like that that kind of excite me because online schooling is brilliant, but it has to be blended with a face-to-face approach or a, an active worldview approach where you're going out and you're doing activities with your kids, museums, libraries, uh, meetups and traveling. And that's when it's the most effective. Absolutely. I felt for kids over the last year and a half of all of the socialization and social skills that have been lost because everyone's been stuck inside mm. and not being able to hang out with their mates. And, you know, especially in teenagers, I think, you know, as a teenager... There comes a point when you should stop caring about like wanting to hang out with your parents. You should want to go out and hang with your mates and go and go and do things and have your freedom. But there's so many that have lost that over the last year. And I think that's one of one of the dangers of doing online schooling is that if there's not that other aspect, that socialization aspect, you can get very much stuck in your little bubble. Um, which would make me really sad. (laughs) And and I think this last year and a half is not a true reflection of what home education really is about. No, I would entirely agree. And (laughs) and I think once we start to go back to a bit more normality and people have that right level of balance is when they'll truly appreciate the flexibility that online schooling can bring to to that. So what are your plans, Hannah, for the rest of the summer? Because at the moment we're in the middle of summer. I've just been doing my old job of marine science Science. For the last sort of week, I was on coal taking people snorkeling with basking sharks. Although because of climate change, we, I only saw one shark and only I saw it. No one else on my boat. So that was not so good. Lots of seals, though. We cuddled lots of seals. Anyway, uh, so I'm going back down to Wales where I'm going to hopefully finish my paragliding course and then start lining all of my chickens up to try and jump across the channel, go back to um, mainland Europe uh, and hopefully be in the Alps for winter skiing. And that's about all the plans we have. At the moment, we're sort of trying to negotiate Brexit and COVID, which is <laughs> which is fun. So between September and December, the first term at UK Virtual School, where will you be? Where can the kids expect to see you? Um, so I will be somewhere on mainland Europe. Sounds really exciting. <laughs> It'd be so exciting. A lot of freedom at the moment. Yeah, it'd be so exciting if we also had a family that was traveling on on one of the podcasts to show what the other side of it is like. The other side of it, Or a family that travels. I'd be really curious to see how how, how they they manage it because, I mean, I just kind of operate on the, oh, I've set an alarm an hour before each lesson, so I make sure that I'm parked up somewhere and set up and ready to go within that hour and then teach my lesson or if I'm up a ski lift or something I have to start speeding down the mountain or flying or whatever it is I'm doing so it'll be really interesting to see how kids manage to work around that as well. Thank you so much Hannah for taking part in the interview it's always fascinating for me to talk to you because you're always doing something exciting and you're making me miss And I miss, like, I feel envious of uh, the fact that you can travel (laughs) so easily at the moment. I know everyone at UK Virtual School is probably also hoping that at some point, once COVID has slowed down a bit, that they'll be able to go and travel and have that flexibility of taking work with them. And I love 
I love seeing how you've managed to make it work for you. And hopefully it'll be an inspiration to a lot of other people listening. Brilliant. Thank you so much for taking part. See you in listen, guys. <laughs> Thank you for listening into the UK Virtual School podcast. We hope you took value from this podcast. And if you did, please remember to like and to subscribe and to share what you've learned with other families. Now, if you want to find out about UK Virtual School, go to ukvirtualschool.co.uk or you can join our page or Facebook group, UK Virtual School. We hope that your home education journey is an exciting one. And if you're right at the beginning of starting out, do reach out to us and ask us for some support. I'm Sid, you've been listening into the UK Virtual School podcast and I'll see you next time.